Before we get to today's episode, I want to ask you guys for a big favor. If you could leave a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast, Apple, Spotify, anywhere else, it goes a long way. It helps other people find the show and it lets us know that we're doing something right. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at RealJohnDavids and hashtag making it. You can talk to me. I want to know what you guys think. Now let's get to today's show. Pretty quickly, I think we had like 1,800 affiliates running. Like when I say affiliates, like 1,800 people uploading files all the time and, and sending them around. Tons of people were coming to the website, right? And so this goes, right. we're already coming looking for content. So we're coming to upload content. So I'd taken this defunct dead business, rebuilt it, revamped it, and it already had people coming to it. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. We are live with James Camp. James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers, man. Yeah, awesome to have you. So I've been following you on Twitter for maybe three, four, five months now. And I love your tweets. I love your LinkedIn. We're going to talk about in a second how you're kind of building your audience. But just take us back and give us a quick minute on who you are and where you came from. Well, it's funny that people now always say I love my tweets and stuff because as a child, I hated writing. If somebody ever told me that as an adult that like 40% of my time would be writing, I would have never believed them. But I'm just like, I, I hate to say it, but like a serial entrepreneur, an internet, an internet kid, right? And I've been sort of made my first dollar online when I was like 15 or 16. I'm, I'm 33, I'll be 34 in, in, in like two weeks. So to give, to give context to that, like, God, maybe 19 years ago, 18 years ago, and sort of just... I think I'm smart. I think I work hard, but really candidly, I think I was just born at the right time. I happened to be grow up in the advent of the internet. Like I think I probably was the last generation to, you know, we had like a computer lab. Like that was like a big deal for us. We play like Oregon Trail and, and Mavis Beacon, which was like a typing game. Anyway, so tried a lot of internet businesses, sold a small ad network when I was younger. That's a whole we can dive into that if you want, but did that sort of straight away from the internet world for a few years post that. Did some strategy consulting, ended up working in nightclubs for years. And when I got really tired of the, that, that world, sort of went headfirst back into all of it, built a strategy firm and a portfolio of websites, ended up selling a few years back. And then, yeah, the past few years has just been a mission of buying and selling online businesses. And now, for some reason, people like listening to me tweet about it. And <laughs> so I just sort of, that, that niche found me. So that's what I'm doing these days. That's awesome. It's so funny. There, there are a couple of things we'll get into, but my background was starting in the online world. And I, I kind of came up the same way. It was just born at the right time. I remember discovering Adobe Go Live and that was like way back. And I was like, oh, I can make you know websites with basic yeah. HTML. I started a publishing site. And then also, coincidentally, I didn't know this until now, but I was a club promoter for like a year and used <laughs> in the club. <laughs> So, yeah, it's a, it, you know it's an interesting world that half the people get eaten alive in that world, and then I realize there's a lot of like really cool scrappy people that come out of that world. You know, you, you learn a lot about people, but it's so funny to say WO Live because for me, I mean, I was building sites on Dreamweaver, right? And like, yeah. so like I don't know, you know, and so Same people thing. today would have no clue, and they were horrific sites. Like I'm not like you know what I mean, it was like you know, hosted on Angel Fire and stuff like, you know, just as like a different world, a different yeah. time. So back in um, the day, I mean, like these days, you know, with WordPress and all these pre-built themes, it's so simple. And back in the day, I remember I was using the CMS, I had to have it custom built and it was like a whole thing. So let, let's get into the, um, well, I want to come back to a few of those things, but the whole idea of buying and selling websites. So my background is on publishing sites and basically building a lot of traffic, making money off advertising. 
but I never got so deep as like website flipping. Can you take us back to an early example of kind of how you discovered that world and what that first transaction looked like? Yeah. So, so to be completely candid, I talk about website flipping so much now, but more of a function of like, that's what people are interested in. I never really thought of myself as like a website flipper, right? Like I bought some websites, I'd improved them. I sold them. I built some websites. I sold them. But yeah, I mean, the first time was I bought an old site. It was called, uh, it was the first significant thing I can think of was, was the thing was a upload forever, which had been a file hosting site at one point. And it was still getting a ton of traffic of people just looking for files, but everything was down and dead, right? Like the, like the no, someone had stopped paying for the server to host all the files. No one had monetized it correctly. And like it was getting, I don't know, like $10 a day or $20 a day in some of the pages had, I don't know if you know what domain parking is, but some of the pages had like just parking pages. So basically it was like a, a search engine, right? And then people would click and someone get paid. So I bought that site. It was upload number four ever. God, I want to rebuy that domain. I think it's for sale actually. And I turned it into a, I took it all and we turned it into a content locking CPA network. So basically we took it and we rebuilt it as a, as a file hosting site. But the only difference is you had to fill out an affiliate offer to get access to the files that we were trying to download. So this is, comes from a different era. This is when people were like using torrents, right? To download. Right, because this before like, like these days you'd have Dropbox or, or Google Drive or like, this like is, many options. Yeah, dude, I was I was beaten. I was ahead of Dropbox. That's actually so funny you say that because literally, yeah, this is this industry would cease to exist today. I mean, you've got like a WeTransfer now or a right. Dropbox, right? But this was very different. This, what year was, was like it? Way, this was... I was, I mean, it's 2022 now. I'm 34 this year, so probably like 15 years ago, 16, 16 years ago. Okay, like, so 2006, you got the idea for file sharing. Essentially, yeah. I don't know. I definitely didn't invent it, but I was. I saw someone had executed it poorly, and we and re and we re-executed. The difference was is like with file sharing today, you someone sends you a link, right, and you just download it. And so what we were doing, and and if you have a big enough file, the person that sent you a link has to pay for that file to be hosted. So we were hosting all the files for free. The only difference was if you wanted to download that file, but they had to like submit their email address, right? Or like fill out an affiliate offer, right? So they would do like a lead gen form in which we would get paid like 50 or 60 cents because incense offers ones where people are incentivized to fill out the offer, pay out less than non-incense. And then we would then pay out the original po- person who uploaded the file like 20 cents. So we would take that vig, right? We're getting paid 40 cents, pay them 20 cents. So then people became incentivized to upload their own content and share it around as much as possible. So then, yeah, that was part of, I sold an ad network called um, Liquid Offers, which was a CPA network that was non-incent traffic. It was brokering offers, brokering, I always use the term offers, people don't know it, brokering products or opportunities, yeah. you know, between advertisers and publishers. And we we would take the middle of that and then we did Upload Forever as our incent side, so incentivized side. So yeah, and then we okay. sold that as a, as a business. So the the idea there basically just to dumb it down because I get this, but it can be a bit a bit. I know, sorry, it gets esoteric and it's hard for me. So just in plain English, so you have a a, if I'm a user, I go to upload forever. I can upload a large PDF, a large movie file, and then I can retrieve it, or somebody else can get it later. And then the the monetization, if you will, is that I'm uploading my my first party data, my name, my email, whatever, and you're then selling that to somebody, or what what are you doing with it exactly? So we are okay. So you're uh, so you're putting in your first part data. Um, yes, I guess technically we are selling it to someone, but it's not as if it's not just like blindly sold off. It's like 
it would be you would choose which offer you wanted to fill out. Like say I wanted to download this this PDF for this movie, right? There'd be like three options. Like I could either sign up for free iPhone contest giveaway, or I could sign up to learn about right. how to make money online, or I could sign up for a PDF on weight loss, right? So we give you these options and then you choose whichever one feels most relevant to you. And yes, then that we get paid for generating that lead to, totally to, get to, it. to the then- advertiser. What what was the scale of this? I mean, and what what kind of timeline? You had this for how long and you were making how much money roughly? It's hard for me to remember the exact number on Upload Forever because we had Upload Forever and Liquid Offers under the same umbrella. But we had like pretty quickly, I think we had like 1,800 affiliates running. Like when I say affiliates, like 1,800 people uploading files all the time and, and sending them around. It helped for two reasons. Two reasons that made it easier. One was I was a moderator on two very, very large internet marketing forums that are, that's an industry that's sort of dead today, but way before Twitter and stuff, like forums were the answer. And so I was a moderator on this thing called Black Hat World, which was a big internet marketing forum a long time ago. And I used to run this other thing called Moneymaker Discussion, both of like millions of users. And so when you come from a position of authority and you share content or you share something, people use it. Same way with Twitter. If I post something now, people go to it now because I have 50,000 followers, right? But also it really helped it Tons of people were coming to the website, right? And so this goes, right. we're already coming looking for content so or coming to upload content. So I'd taken this defunct dead business, rebuilt it, revamped it, and it already had people coming to it. So that's sort of the thesis of the website flipping stuff as well, right? Is that the most difficult is zero to one. Like it takes them like going, and this is just laws of physics, right? I mean, like really, really like objects in motion stay in motion, right? Like it is so much harder to get the momentum or inertia going to get something moving. But once something's moving, it's much easier to keep it moving. So my thesis has always just been like, I've failed. I mean, God, I can't tell how many businesses or at least websites I've had that have just completely utterly failed. And, you know, knock on wood, I haven't bought one that's utterly failed yet, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, because it just, it, it's already working in some regard, you can see inefficiencies to fix them. But yeah, I mean, we were doing, I mean, again, to include liquid offers in that, like, you know, we'd be doing mid five figures a week, you know? Uh, Amazing. In, in and, and you, line, you know? You're so. in your 20s. Oh, I was like 19, 18. Like I was still living in my mom's house for sure. Uh, I mean, all the, I remember the first time I was in, I think I was in the backseat of a friend's car on the West Side Highway. And I think I got like a wire for seven days. And it was for like $17,000. And I'm, I was just like, wh-. and by the way, this is also, inflation's been rampant, right? So 17K in 2005 was, you know, like $30,000 today. I mean, I'm like not even exaggerating, maybe 25,000, you know, whatever. So but anyway, that was gross, right? So we're brokering. So like I had to, like I was paying people out and stuff like that. So I, you know, but either way, sure. it was pretty cool. But it, but it certainly gave you the bug and it, it showed you that there was money here. So if we fast forward a little bit, at what point did you recognize, A, like this, these are skills that I have that I can apply elsewhere. And then what was kind of the next iteration of that? Did you realize you were good at ABC and then say, okay, I can apply it here? Or was it really not that that thought out? A mix of the two. So really interestingly, you and I both said we just were born at the right time. I also just, I really want to be, I don't want to like pretend I didn't grow up in the right circle of people, right? And then into the right world. And so I recognized that I had all these friends who were going and doing agency work and all these friends who were going working at big firms. And all of a sudden, like I found myself by the time I was 26, like launching an SVOD channel for Lionsgate and like consulting for McKinsey and all these things. And it really was just because this was new, right? And so you, you can call it nepotism or networking. I just knew people at these places where they were like, hey, James, I know you know this internet marketing stuff. Like, can you help us with this? And I was like, oh my God, there's such a massive opportunity to take these sort of scrappy 
growth hacking, which was like such a hot term a few years ago, right? Like I'm a growth hacker, I am, you know, but like, how do you just get scrappy in monetization and customer acquisition, right? And apply them to like bigger businesses. Because everyone I knew was just these internet marketing kids, right? All these affiliate marketers, building websites, running affiliate offers, running PPC to their own stuff, paid traffic to their own stuff. And I realized there was just an opportunity to take sort of felt like the seedier underbelly of sketchiness of like just how the internet works and how people make money online and apply it to like massive real big businesses. And it worked. And then I sort of had the feathers in my cap of being like, okay, I've, I did this for this, per, this company. I did this for this company. And then, yeah. And then I, I got like an opportunity in my mid twenties to go mentor at Google Launchpad, which was like really crazy because which is a one of Google's uh, hyper uh, accelerators, a tech accelerator. And I went out to London to go do this. And I'm like sitting there, I was like 27, 26. I'm sitting there with all these like big VCs and all these, you know, like people that have built these massive businesses. And I'm just like, you know, I'm just like some kid who grew up making money on the internet, right? But, but I also learned that I had a better functional understanding of actually how to do a lot of these things, right? Like I could tactically help a company figure out how to acquire customers and make more money off them. And a lot of these people that sort of really saw everything from only from 30,000 feet up. Um, yeah, so, it, yeah. It, it's so funny. So a couple of things that I want to unpack. This, this idea of picking up those skills, you talked about like you grew up with a bunch of kids who were internet marketers. And you know we say that kind of passively, but the skills that you learn there, how to acquire traffic, how to convert traffic online, how to monetize traffic. There are so many businesses th- th- these days, I'm sure we all see the ads on Facebook and LinkedIn if you're targeted like I am. I'm sure you are. All the, you know, if you want to grow your agency, here's how to do it. You create a funnel and this webinar and this and that. And this stuff is so intuitive to people like me and you. Like, how do you get, how do you acquire traffic online? It's like boom, boom, boom. It's a simple funnel. It's simple to us. But if you're a bit older and you grew up at a, you know, maybe in the 90s, you were already starting your professional life, it's a whole different world. So I actually think that it's kind of an unfair advantage and people can tap into the tactics of, of online marketing. It's actually not a little bit of an advantage. It's a huge advantage. 100%. I think even today, you know, it's something I have not done a ton of, but all the time, I've had no money, not that I'm rich, but I've had no money and I've had some money. And, and, so, and I, when I think back about having no money, I often think about like, what would I do if everything failed, right? Like, how do I go? What's my backup plan to make 10K a month, to make 20K a month if I had to do it, right? And so like, I'm 100% positive that there are, six, you know, over a hundred thousand small services businesses in the United States that like I could probably drive leads to, right? Or even just set up very simple email flows and SMS flows to like help them retain customers and remind customers like, oh great, great. You've got a lawn care business. Awesome. Like is there an SMS is there a custom SMS, you know, text message going out to your customer when it's springtime, let it remind them that you're in town. You know what I mean? Like these very, very simple things. But I think what's really interesting, man, is, you know, John, it's not just that that it's like people from an older generation, people in our generation, even, right? I think that it conceptualizes it a bit more, but really don't understand that it's just about like sort of creating awareness, building trust, bringing them down this funnel into where eventually someone wants to buy from you, right? Um, yeah. And there's a myriad of ways to do that. And you know what? Just to, just to tap into that, I've, I've, I've often had the same thought. I mean, I'm lucky I've, I've got a business and, and you know, it, it's, uh, it's done very well. But if I was, you know, 15 or 20 years younger today and I just wanted to start an online business, the most simple thing, I mean, you described it, you can help improve businesses, but I'll take it one level even simpler than that. Just create an affiliate, create a beautiful website. Hey, we are the lawn mowing company for, you know, Northern San Diego, whatever it is, right? You yeah. optimize the SEO, you make it a beautiful polished site, great stock photos. You can get them free off, off you know, off Canva or whatever you want to get your stock photos. 
And then every lead that comes in, you just sell to, to the local neighborhood lawn mowing company, you know, for 50 bucks or 100 bucks. I sold, I sold a site last year. I think it was 2021. Maybe it was late 2020. I sold a site in 2021, I'm pretty sure. That was just a straight legion site I had built about hard money lending. So in 2020, I bought a house. I sold the company in 2020, had a little money, and I was like, I'm going to become a real estate investor. So I, I bought this house, and then I took out a construction loan for the construction of the house at 11.99%, nine-month loan. Like, it was aggressive. And uh, I was paying like $2,800 in, in uh, interest each month on this loan. It was crazy. Anyway, point is, being this internet marketer entrepreneur, I was like, oh my God, like, I know the lead gen space really well. Like really when we think about what I did, you know, with, with Upload Forever and Liquid Offers, it was just lead gen. It was really just a lead gen agency, right? Essentially, I call it ad network. It really, because people were placing ads and it was ad network, but sort of rudimentary. But my point is like, I was like, I don't see anyone selling hard money lending leads. Everyone sells traditional mortgage leads. These are, you know, and so I built a, a website that was basically a fake lender right? With a phone number on it that went to call fire, which we were just forward the phone calls. And we ranked in what's called the map pack, but like the local map pack in on Google, which is like when you search on Google for, you know, local territory or region, you'll see normal Google results. And then you'll see like this little map up top with like local businesses. And so we ranked a fake hard money lending company, right? In the local map pack. And then I got on the phone with a bunch of hard money lenders in the area. And I said, if I send you these phone calls, I'll just forward you the phone calls directly. Will you pay me for them? And we did. And so that worked. And then ended up just selling the website to a lender in the area. It was just like, I like these leads. I'll just buy the website from you. So just exactly your point. Phone number, stock photos, you know, submission form of, I want a loan for this much. I want, you know, like my house is in this area. And there's a ton of opportunity in that space. There's actually like a little niche called like rank and rent that I think people play in that world a lot where they're trying to rank local. Yeah, I have one question. I love I love that story, by the way. How did you get a, into the map pack or you called it map pack? Yeah. Uh, if you didn't have a physical location or did you? Yeah, there's ways around that. You get a PO box, you can okay, you can get a, box, a real yeah. office. I don't I think we did a I think I got a not an actual PO box. I think we got like if I remember correctly, and so everyone listening, take this with a grain of salt because I don't, this is something I've only done once, the local stuff. But like, I think Google knows a lot of the PO box addresses. You have to be super, so like, they won't rank those ones. I think we end up paying like 80 bucks a month for not a WeWork, but like some sort of equivalent. You know what Got I mean? It. Like, so it was like an actual, if you went and looked it up, there was actually like a building there. It wasn't just a bunch of PO boxes. But yes, you need to have a local location and a local phone number, right? So we just bought a phone number for yeah. the for 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 Houston, Texas. It was that's Houston, so cool. There, there's there's so much opportunity here, and we could do you know we could do hours on, on on just this topic. But I want to fast forward for a minute and get to two other big things. So, and I don't know if you don't want to share this story yet. That's fine. But I know there's a story about how you lost a boatload of money because you were going to buy a business or go public or something. Oh yeah, sure. Do you want to share, share that, that now? Story. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, it was it was actually a couple of years ago, and it was it's a little bit more of a complex story. So I'll, I'll save the I'll make it just the simple side of it. But so me and a group of people, mostly a group of people, and me and my old partner were brought in to 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 help with this, and sort of ended up owning a piece of the company. It's a long story short. So it was a group of us had come together, and we were taking a CBD, a consumer packaged goods CBD brand, a hemp farm and a extraction facility in in Colorado. And I'm just going to like leave the names of the companies out because I yeah. just, and we were combining them all and then doing what's called a reverse merger onto the NASDAQ, which means, so there was a large, there was a company that was operating on the NASDAQ. It was a 
big commodities company, not big, small in the commodities space, doing about $120 million a year. Commodities margins are like razor thin. You know, you could do $120 million a year and make $800,000. You know what I mean? Like if you're roasting coffee, they were a coffee roaster. And we were going to do a reverse merger. So a reverse merger without getting into the complexities of- Is that a SPAC or is it not a SPAC? A SPAC is a reverse merger transaction, but a reverse merger does not have to be through a SPAC, if that makes sense. Yeah. So a SPAC is, a, a reverse merger is when one company merges into another company. And the way that happens is the initial company the, the one it merges into issues more shares than currently exist at its company to acquire this one. But it, what it means is that the the one being acquired ends up becoming the majority of the company, yeah. right? So it's 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 sort of convoluted and weird. It's really a, a backdoor way to public markets. You'll see a lot of regulation come, I think, into the SPAC industry pretty soon as well because it's sort of a weird transaction that happens that way. Berkshire Hathaway is a very famous reverse merger. Warren Buffett and then sort of just use stock to acquire a bunch of stuff and raise money and now as this big holdings company. Anyway, so we went around, we had circled a couple million dollars and then we managed to convince an investment bank named Cowan to help us do this raise. We went around and did this roadshow. It's called raising money because we were raising what's called a pipe. So this is a private investment into public equity, i.e. people that were going to invest into this transaction below market. So slightly below what their shares were trading at at the time. And a little over a year, went around doing this, got about 30 plus million dollars and called everyone we knew, raised money from everyone I knew. And yeah, I mean, everyone got their money back. But what happened at the end is all these companies going into one vehicle, into one company. And so they all have to be audited. And so they have these PCOAB audits, which are these public, the, the, the standards in which you, your audits have to, 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 to be if you're a public company are much higher than just like you, someone audits your books, right? Because the SEC says, okay, like, if the grandma in middle America wants to throw $100 into your company, she has to be protected and know that you're not lying. So long story short, we had it all fall apart. I mean, by the way, raising 30 plus million dollars over a year is like a very expensive process, right? Like you're flying around, you're going to have dinner with people, you're, you know, like you're, you are paying lawyers. I mean, you're paying lawyers, securities attorneys cost a lot of money, you know, like, and we were not even using the most expensive securities attorneys, right? Like you could be using like a coolie, which is like a, a, a better, bigger firm and you know, pay them $3 million, $4 million just for the IPO process, right? And then auditors cost a ton of money too. You have teams of auditors, right? So when, when we talk about getting audited and you have a consumer packaged goods brand, for example, like someone has to go and count your inventory, right? right? Like people don't, so like if I tell you, if I go, I'm like, oh, we have 140,000 lip balms. You, you don't take me at my word for that. Like three dudes go to a warehouse and go count lip balms. Right. Like it's it's like by hand. Right. And so they get to pay people to do this stuff. So anyway, we did this and right at the very end, it just became clear that we were not going to get the audits done from one of the companies. It, we had kicked it back a month, two months, three months, four months, five months, six months. Everyone wants their money back at this point. When you've committed five million dollars to me and it's 18 months later and this and my money has not even really been taken out of escrow and and, and put into anything. You start being like, ah, I, I kind of want my money back here, right? I could have made, I could have made a million dollars in on the S and P five hundred in the past eighteen months, right? So anyway, that was a nightmare, but it taught me a lot about making sure that even the lowest levels, like making sure that your financials are always, always, always in order, because you never know where you're going to go, and you never know what's who's going to want to look at them. So yeah. So so, so two questions about that, and I, I can't even imagine what what a roller coaster that year must have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you so when you came into that? Did you have any business? being involved in that transaction, other than the fact that you were in with the right people and, and had some, some specialized knowledge. 
Was it a huge learning experience for you, or did you know a lot of it going into it? I had a slightly working knowledge. I had never done anything like that in my life. For sure, not, never done anything like that in my life. I mean, all of a sudden, you're like talking to people that are talking about doing a $600 million overall transaction, right? Like like a, a $600 million merger. And then I ended up, by the way, a year later in another on a team trying to do another nine figure acquisition that totally fell apart as well for a different reason. But it's <laughs> anyway, I'm sort of just trying to shoot for the moon. Sometimes sometimes you land on the top of a mountain when you shoot for the moon. And I'll tell you, no, I happened to, we had built at the time, the largest financial news website in, in the cannabis sector. Right. And so we, they were taking a bunch of CBD and marijuana related companies, hemp companies and putting them all together and trying to take them public. I happened to be sort of the gatekeeper, my partner and I, we're very much a gatekeeper for major investors and institutional players in that space that we're just not interested in picking up the phone call for most people, but we're very happy to speak to us. And I, dude, I'm a college dropout, no background in finance. I mean, I have a very good working knowledge of, of, of public markets and equities markets, much more than the average Joe. I would probably argue better than a lot of investment bankers I know. But, but my business partner and the people on our team were like, some of the people were, you know, guys, the PE guys that took Build-A-Bear public, you know, in the 90s. And my business partner had been a prop trader at a trading oil derivatives at a big firm in Wall Street. So, you know, I wasn't around the right people. I like to think I'm smart enough to sort of figure it out. <laughs> but I, it didn't fall apart because of me, which is which is the important part, you know. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that you, you actually just stumbled on a really important lesson also. Because I've had media sites and I've got community sites right now and newsletters. And those businesses are phenomenal, not just because you can make a lot of money, it's high margin, it's all that kind of stuff. But as you just mentioned, you become the gatekeeper to you know the supply and the demand side or the brokers and the buyers or whoever it is. And so, yes, you can make money and they're good businesses, but they're also phenomenal for just like when, when you describe how a lot of these opportunities came about. It's about being with the right people. And you know, being the gatekeeper to a community of any kind is a phenomenal way to do that. I mean, I see that now with, with you know, I talk a lot about website flipping and stuff, right? And so I find that now, like, you know, to be honest with you, I know all the CEOs of all the big brokerages and marketplaces, right? And like, they're all happy to talk to me about whatever I want all the time, right? And I've, I don't even really broker website sales. I mean, I've brokered a couple because people wanted to sell their business to me and I didn't want them. And I thought I knew someone that did. But in general, like every day people, I'm not going to say who, but you know, two days ago, yesterday, two days ago, I had the founder of a very famous Silicon Valley unicorn DM me on Twitter and see something I posted. And he was like, Hey, like if I give you $2 million, can we, can you buy a website? We go 50, 50 on it. And I was just like, probably, I'm not really interested in that so much, but let's chat. Right. And so you just, again, it becomes like, it's all about positioning. Right. And that's a big lesson about all life. Right. But to, being a gatekeeper is just the positioning of like, I'm the person who can be connecting these people. I'm, Listen, I'm a mediocre everything, a phenomenal networker. That's about it. You know, the only thing I'm great at is networking. Everything else, I'm pretty mediocre at. That's a great skill. Let's let's get into Twitter because it's a great segue. How did sure. you? Wh- when did you get onto Twitter, and what was the moment or a couple moments of like, oh, this is th- this is going to grow, and and it's it's actually got great benefits. So I first I think got on Twitter in like 2011, but it was not at all the Twitter that that people know me as of today. And so I said for years, I worked at nightclubs and I played in that world. And I think I had like 800 followers in 2020 when I first started messing around on Twitter or maybe end of 2019. And they were all people that were like friends that I grew up with or DJs I knew or like kids I knew from clubs. And they all had the one really specific version of me because 
even when I was like working in nightclubs at night, like no one knew that during the day, like I didn't talk about doing strategy during the day. I just felt that I was, I always tried to compartmentalize my life for some reason. I don't know why. I think I was embarrassed by both sides of my life to both parties to, to each other side. Right. Which is like the nightclub kids would thought it was like nerdy that I was doing this internet marketing stuff. And the, and like this, like Lord knows if someone at McKinsey or Lionsgate or, you know what I mean? had been like, Oh, every night you're in a nightclub, they would have been like, you know, so you sort of, I just like sort of hid both worlds from each other. But in 2020, I sold a company that was like a, basically a large portfolio of websites and like a bunch of blocks of equity in companies, including the one I was just talking about. And we got from just taking stock in companies instead of cash for doing strategy for them. And I had nothing to do. It was COVID. I was like, I just sold this company. I had just got this beautiful new apartment in Williamsburg with an ex. And I was just like sitting in the backyard, grilling up steaks, you know, June of 20, uh, June of like 2020, not, not much to do. It was, you know, and so I started tweeting. It was a little uncomfortable at first because I was like, oh, the only people that follow me are these nightclub kids. Uh, good friends. I love them all. Just I had, they, they, I thought they would think it was weird and judge me. I started tweeting about, I had just gotten a client recently called Agora Financial. I was like helping, which is like a very large, you know, basically publishing company and was like helping them build newsletters and started talking about direct response marketing and copy and funnels and, some people started getting interesting. And then someone was like, man, you should just like break down, you know, because I would always say to my friends, like, dude, like, you should buy that site, do this to it, this to it, this to it, you flip it for way more, you know? And like, my friends were like, why don't you tweet about that? So I did a thread on a website flip and it used to be my main, my, my, my pin thread and it's gone now because it's so out of date and old, but I think I had 1800 followers in a day from it. And I was just became addicted to the dopamine hit. I was just like, oh, this is sick. This is super cool. And so then it grew and I kept at it and it grew and then it went from dopamine hits to like, whoa, like this is really opening up every door I could ever hope from it, right? And like, I'm- Can you get some I'm examples making- of those doors? Because I find that really interesting. Totally. I mean, I think, first of all, consulting work, like I know for sure, for sure, for sure, we're talking about like, and like everything fails in my life. I got 50,000 followers that only follow me for basically internet marketing. If I wanted to go find 10 clients at $5,000 a month, I, I hate client work. So I, it's not what I would do. But were everything to fall apart- could I put together an offer, an agency offering, a consulting offering for? Uh, forget it. Let's 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 make the the what I have to offer way less, two thousand dollars a month, right? Some strategy stuff, right? So there's very little fulfillment. Two thousand bucks a month. Could I find ten clients out of my fifty thousand followers? One hundred percent. I'd make a quarter million dollars a year, probably. You know, like and I'd work eight hours a day doing client work that I don't like, but whatever. You know, like I'd provide an obscene amount of value for them. You know, that'd be basically an hour a day of work per client. I mean, I charge five hundred dollars an hour right now. That'd be so much obscenely lower than what I make now, but I know it could be done. So first of all, in the in the game of always being afraid of being poor again, it sort of set me up into like feeling safe and good. We acquired a e-commerce brand. I'm looking at it right now as well. I have this like little deal shelf in front of me. So it's like, uh, keep looking at them for me. Acquired an e-commerce brand through, I had a cons- consulting client, really nice guy. I had a, a DTC brand, e-com brand that we ended up approaching him and getting him to be part of something we were trying to build and acquiring buying the whole business in 2020. We just sold that brand to Keith Raboy, an open store. Keith Raboy is PayPal Mafia, one of the founders of PayPal, like sort of like really old school player in the space. Big VC now, founder of Open Door, I believe as well, took that public to the NASDAQ. And now his PE shop out of Miami is called Open Store. They're buying e-commerce brands. So through a DM, you know, acquired a brand you know, we, we grew it to like 3 million in sales last year, nothing massive, you know, but then ended up selling it like nine months later, you know, flipped it. I mean, that's 
probably the most successful flip, <laughs> you know, seen there. And yeah, I mean, just like building relationships, my podcast, Builders Build is with my friends Colin and Oren, who, you know, run this public cannabis company that, you know, they do nine figures in revenue in a year and some of the best entrepreneurs in, in the world. And actually now two of my best friends on the planet, like we talk 20 times a day, right, have been connected to, like I said, like, been, you know, whether it's Dave, who's the founder of Bleacher Report, who now, you know, sold Bleacher Report for 200 million or Rich who's the founder of Complex, you know, Complex yeah. Networks and Complex Massive. I had him on the podcast last week. Yeah. yeah. So like all these people, right? And like that is, so I think what happens with Twitter, I was very lucky to not need money when I discovered Twitter. And so I think most people that manage to grow on Twitter just immediately go after the cash grab. And so they sort of burn their ability to grow and build massive relationships. So I've built, I've made some money from Twitter for sure, right? And or from my newsletter or from consulting or whatever. But like 99% of Twitter for me is just relationship building and trying to put out a ton of content, you know? So it's just opened an obscene amount of doors. And and you mentioned on Twitter in a recent tweet uh, that you were aiming for your new $10 million a year idea. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Was that off the cuff or do you have a plan for that? I So... It was not off the cuff. Although what's interesting is that like, I know it's, it's a little engagement baby. Like I'm aware of like what sort of hits with Twitter, you know what I mean? I'm aware of what gets people going, but it's not off the cuff. It came from being, I was in orange. I mean, I live in LA. I was down in orange County with some friends. I won't say who, cause I just don't know if they're, they're comfortable with it, whatever. We're just like whiteboarding out what we thought we could do together. And I mean, I, listen, I, I'm a, I've only been involved in one business that did that kind of revenue ever. I mean, I've been like around much, much bigger ones. I mean, like I've only run one business that did that kind of revenue ever, you know? And so I was like, I, I want to be able to do this again. So we sort of just, I mean, a good old crazy whiteboard session, like like Charlie Day and, and I don't know if you ever watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like him with like strings everywhere and paper yeah. everywhere, just like crazy, like we could do this and that and that. But yeah, so I think I sort of come to the conclusion that I'm not sure, I, I advise, like I own a piece of a cannabis company that I'm an advisor to that like Justin Bieber invested in last year and Scooter Braun and some big people. And so we launched Justin Bieber's cannabis line last year. But like, other than that, like, I'm not sure other than advising, I'm not sure I'm going to ever build a physical products company ever again for the rest of my life or buy one. And I just think that the reality is that audience can be the leverage for info and software in an obscene, obscene, obscene way. I think if we pulled my audience, I could probably figure out what was the perfect like MarTech SaaS for them. Right. And we could probably through a good funnel get 300 people into, you know, a hundred dollar a month, maybe higher. I don't know, maybe more people, but let's say a bare minimum, hundred dollar a month SaaS. So now we're talking about a 30K MRR pretty quickly. We're talking about a, a $350,000 ARR. We're talking a, easily a million dollar business right off the bat. And I, and I, and I don't even mean just like that's not including actually advertising at other places than just to like my audience. Right. right. So, yeah. So I think I want to go out with some friends and we're going to, you know, build some software, build some info stuff and build some conference stuff. And I think we'll, I think we can get to 10 million that way. I'm pretty confident. That's awesome. And that that really is the way to go. I mean, if you have an audience, it used to be, you know, I, I had an influ I still have an influencer marketing company back from 2015. And the way that influencers used to make money was really 100% sponsorship, whether it was you know, uh, flat fees or affiliate deals or whatever they were doing. And these days, especially if you're in a niche like crypto or entrepreneurship or digital marketing or whatever, where people can actually make a living off of your content, off of learning from you, you can charge a pretty penny for that. And there are so many businesses pre, you know, the world of Twitter and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. There are so many businesses, pretty much every sales consultant, I mean, from Tony Robbins to Grant Cardone, I mean, and, and take out the social media piece 
they're just selling information. And if you have the kind of expertise you do and the kind of audience you do, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, that seems like the easiest lift. You'd be crazy to kind of build a physical product company. <laughs> like, why would you do that? You yeah. have no unfair advantage there. I think that, yeah, and I think that the reality is you, it, all businesses are information overcharged, really, when it comes down to it, right? Like in some, in, in some, some way or another. But I mean, even for me with the flipping stuff, right? I even think about like, what are the SaaSs I could, you know, if, I've been thinking about building a rank tracker, right? So a keyword tracker, i.e. sort of like where websites are ranking for those that don't know, like when you're ranking in Google or search engines, like where a website is ranking in the search engine for a certain keyword, right? And some people charge, you could charge 10 bucks a month, you get a free one, you could have a hundred. It really depends on how robust you want to go with it, right? Like I pay 200 bucks a month for Ahrefs to do a lot more stuff than keyword tracking, but I can also keyword track. But my point is, it's like, I even think about my audience, like, yeah, like I could build a, I could have a really simple keyword tracker built out for them and use it as a tripwire, you know, at a dollar a pop for a dollar a month. Right. You know, like, and, and build them a good tool. And now I know these are people that are actually interested in paying, you know, like there's just so much opportunity. And I think that the problem for me right now, and this sounds like just obscene to say, but it's true is that like, there's so much marble. What are we going to, what are we going to chisel into David? Like the, I've never felt more opportunity in my life. Really, really, really. Right. Like I got people offering me seven figures, you know, in DMs and people that I know just raised another $250 million, right? I know they have the money to write me the check, right? I had dinner with a friend last night who's now new president of a well-known DTC brand that's doing like 75 million a year on 30% EBITDA margin. I used to run a other CPG brand doing 2.2 billion a year. And he's like, what do you want to do? You know, it's like the, 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 the opportunities are endless. So it's like when you finally have, I know a lot of people struggle looking for like what, like how to get leverage, but once you figure out how to get leverage, the opportunities are really there. So it's about just like, I, th I think, we'll see, focusing on the right things. And for now, I'm still just focusing on sort of building that leverage, right? I recognize audience as that massive, massive leverage. Where would you be now if it wasn't for Twitter? You're the same guy, same experiences, but you never picked up Twitter in 2020. In 2020, when I thought I was going to become an associate partner at McKinsey, which would have been a very, 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 very different life. Five five days a week on an airplane, sleeping in hotels five days a week. Um, it was a nice 380 base, I think, was was the base salary for, for that. But it was, you know, it's, I don't know. I probably would have gone and I, I probably would have gone and tried to take some, I was in a weird spot where I think I felt above a VP level role, but nobody would have given me like SVP or C, probably would not get a CMO level role at a big company, Right. So like, I mean, sure, like some startup titles are worthless at a startup. You know, I mean, everyone wants everyone, I mean, obviously not worthless, but everyone's like every company I've been a CMO or COO or CEO of, like I've also been the janitor at, you know, like it's, you know, it's not pretend that you're not, you know, like the biggest, the biggest team I've run is eight full is eight people. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, you're doing everything when there's eight, right. obviously, you know, but I probably would have like some SVP role in marketing somewhere and I probably would have quit. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Really, really, you know, like. I think when I sold that company in 2020, I really wanted to get off the roller coaster. Like I really, really, I mean, I sat there crying, man. You know what I mean? Like it had been this a, a nightmare. It had been paying myself $2,000 a month off of raised money and debt for years and tearing through my savings and stuff. So, but I really am just like a builder, builders build, you know, I'm like a serial entrepreneur. So like, I think I probably would have taken some job at some company for like 200K a year as like an SVP or something in marketing. And I would have ripped my hair out after six months and been like, I got to go build something all over again. And I'm not sure what it would have been. People always ask me about like becoming an entrepreneur. And like, I just don't, I've only had a W2. I think I've only been a full-time employee for somebody else other than myself for like two months of my entire life. 
Well, this is awesome, man. So where can people find you and and what what do you want to kind of uh, offer to people or what, what what kind of value should people expect from you if they follow you? So they can find me on Twitter. It's Jameson Camp or James on Camp. I also have a, a newsletter, Nanoflips, nanoflips.com, where I talk about website flipping and and that whole industry. But really what, you know, I, really for me, following me on Twitter or on social is a little bit of platitudes, right? Everyone's, everyone, you know, these sort of like vague, esoteric, like, you know, we should work hard because I believe in that stuff. I really believe in the mindset stuff. It really makes a big difference. And I try and approach my life that way. But I really try and give tactical ways for people to like look at marketing. And that's really important for me. And I'd sort of let go of that for a little bit. You can build a big enough audience. You sort of forget that like people love when you actually tactically show people how to, how to build out a sales funnel or how to, to change your ad network or monetize something. So I think there's a little bit of mindset mark, you know, mindset sort of entrepreneurship stuff followed with like real follow through tactics is what I'm diving back into, into like actually how to acquire customers online and how to make more money from those customers. Yeah. And I will say I've, I, I read that thread that was pinned to your Twitter for, you know, for a long time. And I, I've read a newsletter. It, it is really interesting stuff. And you bring it all down to a level where even if somebody is not in tune with the industry, they realize like, oh, there's a whole world here. And by the way, with all the people talking about crypto and real estate and all the other stuff that's kind of jammed into our, you know, news feeds, I feel like this is actually a really refreshing way where you can, you, I think you tweeted out the other day, which is like, you can spend a hundred thousand and take on three hundred thousand of debt to make fifteen hundred bucks a month in real estate, yeah. or you can just buy a website for thirty grand and make fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, on, on yeah. Website. So, And I think that that kind of lesson is like is the ultimate reason why people should take this seriously. A hundred percent. And I think what's interesting is that what happens with Twitter because there's a character limit is there's no room for nuance. And so what I'll say is that like there's no room for the gray, and life is full of gray, right? So people be like, "Well, I'm getting." cap rates better than that. I'm sure some people are getting better deals than that in real estate. And I'm sure, and by the way, buying a website is like buying a micro business. It is not without risk. You know what I mean? But it's like, there are ways to mitigate that risk and hedge that risk. And I just think it's an overlooked asset class. I've bought houses. I own equities. I own crypto. I also buy websites, right? So it's about sort of like diversification and understand there's other opportunities out there, right? I'm not, not, not naysaying the housing market. I'm not naysaying the, 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 the most well-known tool of wealth preservation that the world has ever known like for sure real estate's great but there's other opportunities out there as well thank you for listening if you enjoy episodes like this make sure you subscribe to us on apple spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and of course follow me on twitter at real john davids we'll see you next time